Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges they are facing. I'm Rachel Connolly from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent. And today, I am your host. Today, we are going to be discussing the topic of enhancing financial freedom through blockchain technology. I am joined by Stephen from Coinbase, William from Carbify, Audrey from Fluidify and William from Empower. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So Stephen, do you want to kick us off with a brief introduction? Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for the intro, Rachel. Uh, I'm Stephen Geller, uh, Senior Director at Coinbase. I'm responsible at Coinbase for all our internal wallets, uh, wallet as a service, our commerce solution, our pay solution, as well as our developer platform. Thanks, Stephen. William, can we come to you next? Yes, my name is uh, William. I'm the um, co-founder of Carbify, and we are world's first certified carbon debit out there. Uh, we plant uh, about uh, 250,000 trees in the Amazon at local communities uh, each year, reforesting 1.2 uh, million square meters of uh, forest. And we uh, issue, we do it at local communities, so we have a high social impact, food security, um, and education uh, for those uh, tribes who often haven't even seen a phone in their lives. So uh, there's a lot of education going on there. Um, and the owners of our trees, um, we issue NF trees, but uh, the owner of the trees are getting the CO2, which can be sold to companies. Um, and as we are at the same level as uh, the all-known uh, carbon credits, uh, then um, uh, our carbon debits are at the same verification level. So we are a United Nations uh, certified. Well, thanks, William. Audrey, can we come to you next? I, um, I am a core member of CryptoChicks, which is a nonprofit educational hub uh, with chapters all over the world. We teach women and youth about cryptocurrency and uh, other Web3 uh, technology. And I'm also an investor and head of marketing for Fluidify, which is an institutional grade DeFi platform for investors. Um, and big fan of the space. So I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Audrey. And Will, can we come to you next, please? Yeah, uh, so uh, I'm uh, Will, I'm CEO and one of the founders of Empower. So Empower was started to make uh, a global plastic waste deposit system where using blockchain technology. So kind of our goal is that uh, anyone anywhere should be able to pick up the waste they have at home or outside, deliver it to a collection point and get incentivized to do that. And that way we can close the loop and get all materials into circular valley chains instead of creating uh, yeah, hundreds of millions of tons of waste every year. So we've been building a digital platform that should be able to track all the materials and also then create incentives on on-chain for anyone to take part in this ecosystem. So yeah, five years doing this. So that's, uh, that's all. Thanks, Will. Now that we're all introduced, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on empowering financial freedom through blockchain technology. As usual, I'll work away around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will also have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So if we start with Stephen, so the first question you had, Stephen, was how can blockchain pave the way for greater financial inclusion, especially for unbanked and underbanked populations? So if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little bit of context behind that um, and I guess your point of view on it before we ask for, for everyone else's. Yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. I mean, first of all, when we look at how many people, how many adults are actually unbanked worldwide, we talk about a population of 1.7 billion people uh, worldwide, especially adults. Um, and when we see how crypto came first uh, with the Bitcoin white paper, obviously that's for many for many people the starting point. Um, when you look at the white paper, it started with a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system. Um, which is really about like how to be solved the problem of double spending with right, typical accounting without relying on a centralized intermediary bank or the banking system. Um, when we also look at the surveys that we have seen lately, um, for example, 80% of Americans in 2023 were thinking, okay, the current financial system is unfair and it needs a major overhaul. Um, looking into that, um, as on that data, it's very clear that um, there is a need and a problem to solve in that space. And um, we need to figure out now how to, first of all, bring wallets everywhere, because 
you know, how do you use crypto without wallets is very difficult. And I think um, there are some, there was some great progress made at different wallet solutions on the market. Um, but I think we are very early um, right now because it's not very natural right now for people to, for example, have self-custodial wallets or rely on um, custodial wallets. So what that means is you host your own keys, you're responsible for it. If you, for example, lose your wallet keys, the funds on that wallet are gone like a real, like a real physical wallet. And um, custodial wallets obviously have their own challenges and we have to trust that party um, that is hosting your keys to access that wallet, um, which um, we have seen in, in the recent past, obviously not every player in the market is trustworthy there. And there's also a little scam going on. Um, and for me, it's very important right now to focus on, I mean, it's also my part of my journey and my job to, to think about how do we create safe wallets? How do we allow people to, like everyone, um, to actually establish these wallets and start using crypto in that space. I'm curious what everybody else in this round feels about that. That's maybe the starting point to kick us off. I um, I think custodianship is a big thing. Um, and I actually think people like when we talk about mass adoption, I really think that once, especially in the West and Canada, the United States, that sort of thing, when major banks start offering custodianship, I think you're going to see a lot more mass adoption. I think a lot of people would be willing to actually pay more in fees, not more than the traditional banking system, but uh, maybe a little higher than on a crypto wallet or a decentralized platform, just to know that it's safe and that it's with like an insured entity. I think custodianship is a big thing. And unfortunately, a lot of us that have been in cryptocurrency a long time, you know, we have to you know, we have to work with government and major financial institutions, I believe, to cross that hub until there's fintechs that come up in the space that we would trust as much, if not more than a bank. That's what I think. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, Audrey. Maybe I jump quickly in. Um, obviously, as you probably all know, Coinbase um, is a large exchange. And the player in that field, um, as you probably recently also saw in the news, um, there are some um, interesting conversations between the government and our company going on as well, um, where we seek um, more clarity for the crypto space and want to obviously learn more about like, okay, how do we comply with the rules? What are actually the rules? I think it's probably one of the first questions. Um, you mentioned trust. I mean, that's number one, right? Like working with governments, we want to make sure that that we are in the legal realm and that we all understand the, the game rules um, in each country. And that's not always easy. And um, there are countries I'm, I'm really proud of that do great progress in that. And there are other countries which have some work to do to make that happen. Besides that, um, something I'm spending a lot of time uh, on is um, the trust component. Um, obviously, um, like self-custodial wallets, so when you have your own wallet and you're responsible fully for it, um, have the benefits that you don't need to ask for permission. Um, but there is a lot of risk, like would you host a bank account on the blockchain and, and trust uh, thousands of dollars or euro, uh, whatever currency you um, you um, move in. Um, and something we, we look into is like what we call hybrid custodial wallets. Um, we, for example, acquired a company called Unbound that is very known in the MPC space, um, multi-party uh, compute, which means like that we share um, data between different parties. And for example, uh, one party can be the, the main approver of transactions, um, for example, um, you. Um, and then you are able to recover your keys without the other party being able to ever do anything with your funds to actually really allow that these are my funds because crypto is for me owning something cryptical, uh, owning something digitally um, or having true ownership of something digitally. And uh, that's for me, like really the pathway, how we get there is how do we create true ownership? And then how do we at the same time give the way that on the convenience we have today to uh, recover these things? And um, I think uh, maybe a couple of other like Will or William have some ideas on that as well. Yeah, I, I doesn't it. Uh, I think it all starts with education uh, because uh, if we now want to pave the way for the unbanked, uh, populations, yeah. Uh, but like I said in my introduction, I'm speaking with tribes in the Amazon, and they're li living 30 million people in the Amazon. They have never seen a phone in their life. How can we include them in 
crypto and wallets and custodial, non-custodial, centralized, decentralized, they have no clue what it even is. Um, I think our, we are at the, at the beginning of what is yet to come. Uh, with crypto and the whole space and you saw it with um, the whole internet uh, hype and uh, we are so early and people um, need to be educated on what is possible and what is out there and i think if we start at the beginning so start at those underprivileged communities or people or countries then and we work our way up then we can if we can we can pave the way uh, for everybody and I think that will be a hard task for all of us to do, uh, to get that education to the people. Thanks, William. Will, did you have any any thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I totally agree that it's an education. You just can't throw a wallet at everyone and ask them to save their keys and understand what to do or anything like that uh, immediately. So it's definitely a need for both custodial uh, and, uh, and kind of uh, maybe a hybrid. I think that's an interesting idea where you can uh, swap uh, when, when we started out, like before we started Empower, we were running this decentralized banking company, which was going to build a wallet where you had your you know, Ether and Bitcoins on your in one app, which wasn't uh, doable uh, by at that time, like 2016, 17. But the goal was, of course, that you would hold your money there, take them from the bank, put them on your phone, but you would still get the services that the bank can give you that actually has value they would give to you, but you would control it instead of they just putting in services that you never need. Like if I have a $50 on my account, I don't really need to pay for the security. If I have 1 million, I would be willing to pay for the security and for someone to back it up. And uh, I think we need to get to that kind of technology level where it's possible to you know, have your sovereignty, but still be able to quite seamlessly get the services you need depending on the situation and probably a journey from, from where we are to, to the, where that's perfect. And uh, yeah, it's a very interesting chip and the way you can solve it with hybrid solutions, some custodial, uh, some people, of course, just doing everything by themselves at this point, um, but that needs uh, needs some skills uh, for sure. Yeah, well, I, I really loved what you said about um, also picking up people where they are, right? And uh, I think William alluded to that as well, like some people don't have even phones, they don't understand technology well enough to even comprehend what is even custodianship, right? Like we also talk about languages. Some languages might not ha have a different concept of that word custodian, right? And um, that is, I think, where we need to spend a lot more energy on first starting where people are today and then actually hiding away the complexity. What I often, I often try to shock my teams a little bit when I say, um, Let's not care about crypto for a moment. <laughs> and obviously, we have a lot of crypto forward people who are getting you know, like excited. <laughs> and I say, um, let's not think about crypto because um, what I, I think what we often tend to do is that we have a lot of great solutions. We don't know exactly know what the problem is or what the problem is the user wants to solve or the customer wants to solve. Mm. And really starting there um, by learning, okay, do you have a mobile phone? What mobile phone do you have? How's the network coverage? On that phone, right? Which we all take sometimes for granted that you do have like very fast, reliable internet. Um, and then you're starting from there and saying, okay, like what is the first thing they want to do? Like exchange of a token to represent value? Is that what is needed? Or to track um, progress of something or do microtransactions um, for services? And then really going into, okay, we have that custodial, let's say that we host the keys, but maybe you want to be more secure. Let's, let's help you move over transparently into a more secure world. And that's that's not as easy as it sounds because um, the systems behind that are quite complex even today. Thanks, Stephen. William, if we come to you next with your question. So um, your question for the panel was, with a high number of um, scam projects out there promising high return on investment, what are some tips to make sure projects are legit so that we can achieve the financial freedom that we're all looking for? Um, so if you want to give us some context behind the question and I guess your, your point of views for it as well. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I think uh, we all know all the all the high projects out there right now. Look at uh, PayPay right now. It's zero utility and everybody's aping into it. I think um, what scares and also still what I hate about crypto is that hype around things that are not doing anything. Um, I think everybody will understand what i'm saying with this is because it's super annoying that you have a good product and you have something with real utility we are planting trees and having co2 
Um, and it's very difficult for projects that are not paying millions to influencers to get the traction that they deserve. Um, and when I tell people around me that I work in crypto and I have a crypto company, that they are, oh, yeah, all the scam and it's bad. And because that's what they see on the news. They see the pumps and they see the dumps and they don't understand what crypto, because crypto is not blockchain. Um, and people think it's the same and that it's uh, all, it's all one fuzzy uh, world uh, where people uh, are doing all kinds of shady things. Um, and it, it's also back to my answer to the question uh, from Stephen. Uh, it's education and educate educate people how you can filter out the good and the bad things. Um, so I sent in a question to maybe get some tips from everybody to see, okay, what can you do to make sure it can never be sure, but how many that you can can have that many certainty that the project is legit and that you can. Um, do something with it. So I'm curious to see, to hear, sorry, what you guys uh, think about that. Um, so for me, what I've had experience like with in the past, um, I've actually been put on projects that I didn't have, give them permission to be put on projects. So what I tell people is first, is there a product market fit? I read so many white papers that's just full of nothing. It just talks about, oh, the blockchain and Bitcoin was invented and blah, 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 blah. Like it says nothing. It's like, I don't even know what your product is. And I just read 20 pages of nothing. Um, you look at the team, right? And are they talking about it publicly? So are they, because teams can be fake. Like pe people's images have been used on, pro like on projects that they did not give permission. So are they on the project? Is it legit? Are they talking about the project in public? Um, connect with them on LinkedIn, go, are you on this project? Um, do they have an actual address? Uh, one of the things that I do when I talk to prod uh, like projects is I go, how are you working with the SEC? And why I ask that question is because everybody wants US dollars. Everybody wants US investment money. They want US VCs. So to get US VCs, you have to dance with the SEC. So if they can't answer that question, whether they decided to abide by or bypass. I want to know their thinking around their logic of either abiding by SEC regulation or, or registering in a different jurisdiction. I want to hear their process on why they decided what they did and did they take into consideration whether it's US regulation, European regulation, uh, whatever. I want to hear their process and did they think about it or did they just, just decide to register in some island offshore because they think they're just going to bypass regulation in its entirety. So I want to know their process and their thinking around that. Um, so those are the kind of things that I look at. I don't believe, I actually, I agree with you. I hate the shilling and the influencing and and when I talk to products and projects about marketing, it's just one of those things. It's like, you're, are you shilling a token or the actual underlying product that you're making? Because if you're if you're really promoting your product and buying, like trying to get users, you're going to have a slower trajectory than shilling a token. You know, you shill a token, you get influencers, you get thousands of people following you on Twitter. And they only can they only care about when moon, right? What are you doing to get the, the value of your token up? They don't give a shit about your product. They don't give a shit about it. So I believe in more holistic and building your users and having your users be your influencers and your product marketers than the fake, you know, but then investors want to see Twitter followers. They want to see community so it's that balancing of that beast of showing a fake you know surge in twitter followers or community followers to make vcs happy while you're building actual users and and evangelists of your product that's exactly before Stephen, steve before steven and Wilhelm are replying that's exactly what the problem is right now what you are saying vcs want to see what 100k followers on twitter for example, yeah. when we launched our project, we Polygon uh, scan did not want to update our data because 
we did not have more than a thousand followers on Twitter. Okay, so we try to be honest and we try to give you all the information, but we don't have. So what we did, we bought a thousand followers for five dollars. And the second after we did that, they updated our info. But who are we kidding? Uh, I mean, it, this is not the right way to go. Um, so it's and, uh, and uh, indeed what you said it's on the one on the one side people want to see those fake numbers. Look at the influencers. Everybody that has more than 200k followers, 80% is fake. You see it. Uh, you see their reach on Twitter. I have 200 follow 200k followers and only 10k saw my tweet. Okay, something is off there, but they we're doing it to ourselves by demanding projects having at least a certain amount of followers. Stephen, you had it's really, really, really interesting. I, I had no worries. Uh, Audrey, thank you so much. I think uh, there was some really great advice in there. I think if you are using the product itself, if there's any chance of a utility token to use it yourself, I think it's also a great indicator to experience the product firsthand. Um, obviously, being at Coinbase, like, and in the space I'm in with wallets, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I've been exposed to asset listings uh, quite frequently. Um, I see um, the difference between companies and exchanges that do their due diligence. I mean, every investment is risky. Maybe I should disclaim that, right? Like, and do your own research. But, like, um, obviously, there are exchanges, for example, that list everything for Go to the Moon. And then there are obviously companies that um, have to apply to certain rules to, based on their jurisdiction, et cetera, to you know, be careful that they're not doing the wrong thing uh, in regards to consumer uh, protection and investor protection. Um, it's like really a robust due diligence process on the exchange. Are they, are they in a location you can trust, right? Like, does they have rules um, that they need to adhere by? Um, and that's not always very clear. Like, obviously, also looking... Um, like, is the exchange itself verified or unregulated? Um, what is the trading volume on, on that exchange, for example, and with that token, right? What's the liquidity in the asset? Is there a fake liquidity, as we all know as well, talking about Twitter followers? Um, and something that makes me a little bit, um, you know, wondering is the crypto was created as a trustless system. And here we are talking about trust. <laughs> and uh, I, I would love, I hope that we have some time later to talk about um, like um, attestation and identity um, as part of that, because like um, who are we kidding, right? Like um, like how do you know that the other party is the other party that they say, right? Like there's this old saying, like uh, you don't know on the other side there's a dog, right? Like the old internet saying. Um, that's really like the question, right? Like you don't know where they are located, even if they say they are in Europe or they are in the US or whatever or in Singapore, you don't know. Right, like usually people cannot buy a ticket and meet another person in that location, um, and that, that's something I'm also curious about to uh, to hear. Like the more trustless, like obviously there's this trust on trusting the government and regulatory body to do the right thing, and then the company you interact with, uh, both on the exchange and the token you invest, um, and then obviously beyond that, how do we get to a world where um, where it's more verifiable? For example, on this planting trees, what do you do? Which are very admiring, uh, William is um, how, how do you create more credibility and prove that your project is legit and doing what it's doing? Because that creates that trust system I was just uh, alluding to. I'm curious to hear more about that, but maybe already uh, you have some more to share. And that trust, what you said, is it's also you, I mean, also companies and organizations that you think you can trust, in the end, it, then it, it seems to look at the... the carbon credits out there. There was a Guardian article that 90% of the carbon credits are fake. They were sold triple, four times, five times, 10 times. Everybody's earning money. And um, Stephen, you were talking about trust. Yeah, the, there's only one thing that we can do is to make everything transparent in it. So for example, all of our 250,000 trees are geotagged one by one. Uh, so you know, okay, there's it. You can go to the location, you can see the tree, it's there. You have to write your so you have to be on a boat for seven days in the Amazon, but you can visit your tree uh, because it's there, because there's a geolocation and it's on-chain and just holding a CO2 token is not a claim for carbon neutrality. You need to burn it, take it out of circulation to offset it. Um, and um, it's just lately we've been we've been faced with so many people that are, are not doing what they say they were doing and um, that is making it for us people that want to want to go forward in this space more and more difficult because first you have to 
have to bend over all the nose uh, before you can talk about how you are doing it different. That's it pisses me off every time uh, because I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk about uh, all the bad things. I want to talk about how we are doing it in the right way, uh, and uh, that's a process. Uh, I hope. Lemaire comes back to my original statement, which is uh, my personal mission of my team is, for example, uh, wallets everywhere. Right, like now I come back to how do we bring people comfortable with blockchain? How are we on-chain by default? Because as more normal it is for people to look at what you just said, like we put on-chain where these trees are, I, you know, like how do we make people familiar that this cannot be tempered with, right? Like you can here see the full stack of what we have done. And that's, again, like and there's a, there is a trustless system I can look into and maybe another party verifies it or there's a group of people visiting the Amazonas and then they have, again, a proof to their identity and you know they are real. And then you create that ring of trust. Right? I think we had that uh, back in the days for web as well. Like how do you create that trust circle? Um, and I think we are probably very early in the crypto space as well to bring this all on chain by default and then bring wallets everywhere and making people come in to all of that themselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a limited number of things that can be really trustless, right? And, uh, and the blockchain technology will help you, you know, facilitate transactions and some agreements and, and things like that without middlemen. And it can save, you know, hundreds of billions globally by just doing that. But of course, you like in the investment, you will never get rid of all the risks and, you know, trust in a team or in a, other parts of the technology, even like if it's blockchain, is this coded well enough? Like, is there a bug in this? Or So it's still like yeah, you can make incredible gains by blockchain technology, but you won't have a trustless uh, society very quickly, as you say, very early on that, uh, getting everything on. If you even want that at any point, I mean, uh, I don't want everything I've done in my life on any blockchain, you know, either like completely. <laughs> But the, so it's like a, it's a pros and cons. But I think like I'm coming from Norway again. Like we see that the Norwegian society has been kind of uh, quite trust based uh, in a way and inherent trust in a lot of things. And you know the the cost of doing business is much lower than in most other countries when it comes to legal costs and all of this. This is changing though because we're becoming more and more international. So you you know lawyer fees are going up every year and uh, the need for it as well. But uh, it shows a bit the potential of uh, doing more and more stuff, trustless at least. And it's really, you know, you, you release a lot of funds and money that can go to good stuff like, uh, you know, climate change or whatever you want to do with it. And, and that's the good thing with this. Like we can really make the economy more efficient and apply that funding that we save into meaningful change, equality, you know, social impact, uh, environmental impact. Uh, I think that's really good. That was like another last question, which like came up when you mentioned this. I wonder how many trees do I need to plant in the Amazonas to after I've gone to that seven days trip there to to look at my first one to offset that. I, I guess I will like depends on uh, depends on how you are going there. <laughs> I guess, but you have a nice calculator. You can calculate your uh, emissions. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Some really interesting points on that one. And. Um, Audrey, we'll come to you next with your question. So the first one you wanted to ask was, um, how does a DeFi crypto asset ecosystem built on blockchain technology potentially help the unbanked? And there was a little bit of crossover with Stephen's question at first, but do you want to give us some context behind that and, and your opinions on it too? So I like to, to take it back holistically because I'm a big believer in, can you explain it without technology? Can you explain what your, your passion is without having to mention you know, like if if you use an Apple Watch, I don't give a shit about the technology driving the Apple Watch, right? I just, is it counting my steps, right? So in regards to the unbanked or underbanked, what are the immediate needs, right? So the immediate needs are, can I buy food or transact? Then beyond that, it's, can I get a loan? And then the next step to me would be, can I invest? Or now can I earn money? Can I, can I make money? So a lot of the challenges or the projects that I've seen come up, they'll talk about, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna bank the unbanked and they're gonna wanna stake crypto. And it's like, no, they're gonna wanna buy food, <laughs> right? They're gonna, there's immediate needs that they wanna solve first. Then what are my options? What are my options as a human? And do I have access? Do I have access to banking? Is there value in that banking? And can I trust that banking or can I trust that system? So access can be denied because of lack of documentation or infrastructure. 
uh, value. If I put in my current, in my local currency, if I put that money in a bank, is it going to be worth what I put it in today in two weeks? Or is it going to be devalued? Is inflation going to kill it? So, and then trust. Do I trust the bank? Are they going to, or the government? Right? Can they, because banks can hold funds. We've seen it happen all over the world where banks all of a sudden say, you know, you see lineups and people are trying to get their money out because the banks either devalue their currency, limit USD, right? So they can also just print money. So Bitcoin, 21 million. There's a set amount. No government can change that amount or what have you. And nobody can restrict access to it. So can we provide? to the unbanked and the underbanked through DeFi, these tools, and I think we can, I think we're getting there. There's still stumbling blocks and there's still some issues, but um, I think there's a lot of value in transacting in Bitcoin or a stable coin for these people that are in regions that, you know, have unstable currency and unstable governments. And, and imagine, you know, fleeing a country or being a refugee and you can't take anything with you well you can and we do have that custodian issue and the your keys your wallet we have that issue but like you said there's still stumbling blocks and there's still challenges but somebody leaving a country you know with their you know wallets their digital card wallet or knowing their keys or whatever is much safer than them trying to take out gold or uh, paintings or what have you. Thanks, Audrey. Stephen, can we come to you first? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I have have one team that's called the Converse Commerce Team. I don't know if you had a chance uh, to look at that product. Um, what it does is it enables merchants, so people who want to sell services or goods um, for crypto. And um, we, we, for example, integrate with um, something called uh, WooCommerce, which is built on, on WordPress, where you can, you know, relatively cheaply host that. We also partner with Shopify um, as well, uh, an integration to enable uh, crypto payments. Obviously, there are, in some regards, KYC requirements, so know your customer or KYB, know your business in that case, um, which then doesn't help if you're unbanked, right, because it's very hard to, to do that process, and that's something we debate all the time. And again, like there is this interesting tension between obviously the government having an interest in figuring out what you owe in taxes as a business, right? And um, there is this stigma uh, on crypto sometimes, which is like, oh, you want to you wanna skate uh, around taxes, right? And, and again, like this is this interesting tension um, between um, doing the right thing, which is like helping everyone, and uh, legal compliance, where sometimes the legal system is standing in its way to people that are unbanked. There are obviously countries where this whole thing is a different game altogether. Um, and uh, we really try really hard to figure out how to service that that pool um, and at the same time comply with the law, which doesn't always go hand in hand. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my first thought there. Thanks, Stephen. William, any further thoughts on that? Mm, um... Nothing really that hasn't been said, but I think the legal compliance issue is a difficult thing. I mean, I, I'm i a big uh, pro for the decentralized, uh, but we need to transition towards that. Cannot be, um, cannot say, okay, now we stop with all the, all the KYC and KYB, but it also should not be impossible for people. Uh, for example, I live in the Netherlands, our company is Estonian, um, because they have better crypto regulations uh, but now they're making it impossible for me to open something because i don't have a utility bill in estonia now yeah that's because i have an e-company there and i'm an e-resident uh, so yeah it's unnecessary hard and i hope that um i think if we solve those problems that also a lot more people will get into crypto uh, so should i mean in europe um we don't really care about the SEC because they have no jurisdiction here, but they try to scare us for the SEC. <laughs> yeah, what they do want to do, they have no jurisdiction here. So, uh, yeah, okay, we get a legal opinion about the tokens, about our NFTs, about everything to not classify as security, but for who are we doing it? Um, so, I think that is the biggest challenge we are facing right now, is how can we get 
those people without all those difficult uh, hurdles of uh, compliance that they have out there. Yeah. I can uh, add in something maybe as well. Like we're working in, uh, I think we are, we are like in 50 countries now in, in Southeast Asia, Africa, Latin America, in addition to Europe and, and elsewhere on, on this uh, waste collection system. Uh, and of course, we, as you say, most of the really poor, like the lowest on the pyramid, as I like of the waste pickers, they don't have, a, they are unbanked and they don't have a phone, maybe, they, but they have a phone in the family so someone could get the reward or something like that. And it's, you know, already if you have a wallet, you're kind of rich uh, before you can get Coinbase, you, you're not uh, poor anymore in those settings. So you, and then we see some projects that come out and say, yeah, we made a wallet for all the, everyone that don't have any money and they'll start by getting five dollars on it but the problem for them is that they 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 don't have a bank account they're not they don't have a passport they don't uh, have a job so you can give them that as you say but they want money that money to food immediately not today and like not even in a month but today because that's what they need and that's uh it's it's pretty you know it's short term very short term it's not like planning ahead uh, more than that and just because they can't right not that they don't want to but of course it's a lack from the education to to job so you know the the issue there on how to bridge this in a good way is the huge challenge and uh, that's a bit like what i guess our question or my question again is really you know how do you bridge these things uh, from uh, yeah the crypto as a tool to actually implementing that for the bankless where it's really needed right and uh, how can you really yeah merge this because that's probably where it really will have a huge impact because you you could uh, get bankless onto uh, direct payments without peer-to-peer like aid for example, that can go directly from me. If I want to give $1 to the guy who made this t-shirt in Bangladesh, it won't cost me anything. And if it changes his life, he, if he got that from like 10 people every month and, and you know, how can we do this? Uh, how can we onboard them? How can we incentivize? How can we give them that easy access without KYC, but still can give a value? I think those are the huge challenges. If you want to bank those 1.7 billion people who are still like on bank, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you need some, some out of the box work, I think, and it's yeah easy enough to bank people in Norway. We'll do a KYC in one minute on the phone and with a passport, but then yeah, that's the easy easy part. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I'm going to quickly jump in. I mean, um, I'm in Canada, so um, as you probably heard from the uh, from the news, there were situations as well where even invest in societies, people got unbanked all of a sudden um, for their beliefs. Um, no matter how we all think about these beliefs, uh, if we are pro or against it. I think there is also an interesting um, future past that hopefully doesn't happen again or doesn't happen in the future in other countries, but like where potentially as societies get more divided, um, we are ending up where like we have unbanked populations that aren't in the bucket of not having a phone or being uh, in a certain uh, income group, but actually they are, they are facing a penalty for maybe something that is illegal or not illegal. I think in that case, there is a question which which side of the house that was, but they got just unbanked all of a sudden for a while, and then they got access back. What do you do, right? Like, let's be honest, like how much cash do you have at home? And mm. how long can you survive with that cash, right? Um, and that was quite interesting to see um, also, like how how does uh, donation work, right? Like similar to what, what Will just mentioned, right? Like, can I even donate to that cause I want to, because there might not be even payment rails um, into that channel. Um, the other thing I actually wrote down because it came up a couple of times and I mentioned it as well, which is um, uh, attestation. So attestation means something like, um, how can I prove that I'm uh, Norwegian or Canadian or German or wherever you live, right? Um, and uh, for example, or can I prove that I hold a valid passport? Can I prove that I have a utility bill, right? Like uh, to William's point, like um, how can we find alternatives to prove an identity? or a location without this really odd privacy violating effort of submitting credit card statements, utility bills, um, bank statements, right? Like where I always cringe when I when a company asks me for uh, like my bank statement. I'm like, what, why am I supposed to share with, why am I supposed to share and sometimes even not blacked out bank statement because they don't allow you to, to, to remove the transactions. Like, and you know what you do in the months, right? It's a long, sometimes pages long, like story of your life, right? Where you shop, what you buy, like how often you buy it. Um, do you really want to share that when you open a bank account, when you 
get a phone plan when you do whatever, right? And um, I think I would solve so many problems um, uh, if we are able to bring identity or parts of identity onto the blockchain. Uh, not the information itself, but the proof, like a verifiable proof that you are like who you are. Like, for example, you are over 18 or 21 to, you know, for example, uh, buy certain items or access certain areas in the society. Um, or, you know, like, I mean, you could go as far as do you have a right to vote, right? Like, um, it could be all on-chain. Um, there's no reason um, to not do that. You could uh, potentially have, like, your identity on a card, which we all have. Most countries, you should be careful, um, not every country has IDs, but, like, um, you could link that together and say, this is my number, like, type it in, and then uh, you could uh, write a tool that actually uh, verifies that, yeah, that code fits to that driving license or ID ID. Um, and yeah, it's quite it's quite an important challenge to solve, if you ask me. And I think we are extremely early on that as well, because I think governments are also trying to figure out if that is safe and how can they use that um, for an identification, how can they use it for healthcare, right? Like, um, and um, like I saw the other day, um, they make a lot of uh, strides in financial, like Germany, I think, is in the process of proving like, um, um, stock shares on the blockchain, like they're very early. They're like the, that's the financialization. I wish that we would also focus on the other aspects of life um, and actually build much more there. Like, why do we not have passports on our phones, right? Like, why do I still have a paper passport? <laughs> I don't understand, yeah. right? Like, um, for example, we could automate that all um, in, in, in most ways. I think the only thing we need to do is maybe go into an office and once show up and say it's me and they verify it's me and then everything else can be chain of trust can be built and then that should be established right mm. and i hope we get there mm. would make this unbanking much more uh, uh much less um of a problem i think once we once we make it easier for people mm. yeah true i would like one of like one of the other problems there with making the unbanked over is like you mentioned that a bit like you can be unbanked uh, unbanked in canada as well in a way but as long as like most of the economy is not on chain, uh, you will always have this uh, on ramp off ramp issues. Uh, and I, I think like it's a big question: what is the tipping point where enough of the economy is on chain so that you really don't need on and off ramp anymore? So if you get a small job in Nigeria, you can have your money on chain. You don't need to find the bank or KYC to use it because enough of the economy is there to have a functioning uh, system. I think at that point. People will drop the bank and they will drop uh, like Coinbase and uh, other stuff, uh, maybe. But uh, and, and so I think that's uh, super interesting. And uh, maybe there's someone have done any calculation on that. But I wonder, like, when we have five percent of the global economy on chain, do we actually then? How quickly will it then turn to just being on chain, really? And when when do you stop using the bank and just use your wallet if it's custodial or not? Or you know what kind of security you need? But uh, that would of course switch that immediately, then you would have the millions in Nigeria doing way speaking. If they could just get the token on board and use that for food, you, they wouldn't ever open a bank, right? Uh, I think that's uh, that's an interesting uh, to see how that plays out so when we're ready for that kind of thing. Thanks, everyone. I think we've probably got time for one more question. So, um, Audrey, one of your, well, your second question you wanted to ask was, can blockchain technology help to democratize access to investment opportunities and asset ownership? Do you just want to give a little bit of context behind it? Um, so around that, and it's some of it is what we've kind of touched on. And obviously it's past the, you know, are, are am I able to buy food and then growing my, my wealth from there? So for me, one of the benefits of, of blockchain and cryptocurrency is, you know, in these in these um, economies where they don't have an established banking system like we do, you know, can I take Bolivar? I was in uh, Venezuela when they floated the dollar, and can I take it and immediately buy like a, a stable coin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar, and that way it holds its value? Then, once my immediate needs of survival are passed, then you know, one of the benefits coming is, you know, the tokenization of real world assets and fractional ownership. So do I need to be a whale and buying investment properties and that sort of thing? Or can I buy a small piece of something that has legitimacy? Um, 
financial services we've covered, like loans, um, you know, lending and borrowing. Um, it was also touched upon uh, tamper-proof records. So not just in financial transactions, but if I go and I buy a piece of property in these, uh, you know, in these emerging economies and I buy a piece of property, am I the actual owner? Am I, or, you know, am I buying it from a legitimate person? And, and so for the tamper-proof record and global access, so DeFi can bring us global access, you know, peer-to-peer payments that can happen instantly uh, with no bank or government telling you, you can't send that money. So, and I think the unbanked and underbanked, the value in being able to take your local currency and immediately put it into something that's pegged to the US dollar or in Bitcoin, um, and then being able to transact around the world with very little fees, I think is is a huge benefit hmm. to the unbanked and underbanked. Yeah. I, I think like one of the things I just want to mention there that we are working on because we have this collection organizations in 50 countries where it's actual organization which is verified that are the ones that receives the waste if it's the plastic or you know, metals or whatever and they send it on to recyclers so they are kind of KYC they need to be on there have an organization number and they pay out the rewards and incentives to the waste because we don't need to be uh, because they are getting some money and we can do it so one of the things we are doing now is like they get their incentive as a token and we're kind of launching our own chain where you then can have other build other kind of stable tokens on it so one thing we're doing there is kind of a solar backed token where you have a company that owns several solar parks they make the legal so you can buy kind of a share of that uh, as a token which will pretty much be a i would say a yield generating stable coin right it will give you a five to ten percent per year in in yield so if you can just turn your incentive token into that one you know you will get the yield every year and you can then send that to anyone in the same network because they will all have the same kind of deposit app. All of these facilities will work. So you can actually send between Argentina to Nigeria to Indonesia at uh, yeah, almost zero cost now with uh, with kind of our solution. So it's a kind of a bridging that real world utility and they need to get some money delivering plastic to a collection point. And then by doing that, you can actually start onboarding them to a new financial infrastructure. Of course, you will still have that. How do you get this into a bank KYC? system but you can start to build like a parallel system for the unbanked i think like uh, that's what we're we're doing and then you need to find the right partners to turn this into also longer term right so can they eventually buy their own properties or their own uh, you know open the bank account when they have enough uh, uh, revenue and, and do those kind of things but uh, yeah i think there's a, a lot of opportunities there to to use tokenization and uh, enable this this kind of change um, but it's it's a long long way there because you're, you're building completely new infrastructure right and it needs integration with so many normal life stuff steven did you have what you wanted to mention or yeah i was i was wondering i mean uh, when we when we talk about um in that space right like what do people usually do um they sometimes send money home Right, like um, it's very expensive. Um, I, um, I, there was a time when I helped someone in another country, um, in Bangladesh, um, and that was um, that was very hard to send money there from Canada. <laughs> um, I, I at the end I ended up I think using Western Union. It costed I think I, I sent like one hundred fifty dollars. I think it cost me like thirty dollars or forty dollars to send the money there. Um, it took a long time. Like uh, often these these settlements, uh, what's called in the traditional system, at um, date or day plus two, right? Like which which can be if you're in a pinch and you need money now, um, you know, one you fork over more money to make it immediate, right? Or or um, or you have to wait two days. And uh, I think crypto. I saw some studies we did in Coinbase. Um, I think uh, 93% of, uh, of of fees can be saved um, with with crypto and cross border transactions, which are usually about three to six percent of the of the total amount, which is quite large, right? The same as with uh, payment um, credit card payments processing. Um, and the other thing I um, I uh, I was looking into is really like um, to to receive these funds again, you need to have a trusted uh, identity. Right? Like to pick up, for example, Western Union, you can say this person can pick up in person. So how do you do that? They need to have a phone number. They need to have a ID. Right? And here we go again, like the same, the same thing we just talked about. And uh, I think uh, crypto can really be like this permissionless uh, 
I, I established a trust somewhere else, like I had a phone call or whatever it is, or I know this person, we exchanged that wallet address beforehand. Um, and I can like sending a text message to someone, um, right? Like, and it goes really from like, I send them a hundred dollars to I listen to their podcast or um, for every single tree you plant, right? I'm going to give you 10 cents, which might not be en uh, enough to pay for the tree. But if 10,000 people do that for every single tree and every time they get 10 cents, uh, these microtransactions are also extremely powerful, right? Like where, um, like, you know, obviously like um, in many Western worlds, uh, like a dollar isn't much, but in many other countries it is. And it usually isn't worthwhile to send that small amount of money around the world. I was, I was triggered briefly by the, uh, the RWA, so the real world assets. I think that narrative uh, will be the next big thing in crypto. You see now everybody is talking about the real world uh, uh, assets and uh, yeah, we are doing it with trees and CO2, of course. Um, you see, I think that will be next steps that you can acquire real world assets with crypto because also pegging it to a dollar has has or to euro has issues because 90 percent of all the dollars and euros have been printed in the last few years so how much is that dollar or the euro actually worth um so if you can peg it to precious metals or or gold or um or other real world assets real estate and i think that those things will be very big uh, in the next few years and i think also that's a good improvement for crypto so move away from Stupid JPEGs uh, with uh, no utility and go to real world assets uh, that uh, that can do something good. Yeah. And I, I, what, uh, yeah, sorry. I also said I was running like a mine, gold mining company in Liberia. We also had like a football club there for a while. And the cost, as you say, when they needed $50 and it cost you $50 to send $50. And the pains we had on solving all these kind of day to day business cross border was kind of horrific and really a way of why we, we started what we're doing as well, right? Because so many resources, so many people just wanting to do a job. And uh, as you say, you can actually make you different with such small money, but the financial system is not there to do it, right? They are there to cater to bigger companies at a completely different level. And now I can send. A dollar uh, to, uh, to people I know already, right? Because they have a wallet and it, they can manage to get it out, even if they, it's some cost to it at this point. But uh, yeah, it's already revolutionizing some part of this, as you say, and we'll save again like billions of dollars that can be put into actual use instead of uh, just being eaten up by banks. Uh, might be bad for the banks and those people, but uh, you know, in general for the world, I guess it's just a huge, huge plus. Perfect. Thank you. I think we could probably keep this discussion going on for at least another hour or so, but um, just for time constraints, we'll we'll wrap it up there. So that was today's Evolution Exchange podcast. Our thanks to all our guests for joining us today and sharing their views with us. We'd like to thank you for listening and hope you can join us again next time.